Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Tracy Koga. And thanks for downloading this podcast from ilikehugh.com. If you can, give us a follow or a subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at ilikehugh.com. Now, let's get started. I'm Tracy Koga. Welcome to Hugh at Home. It is the middle of October, the leaves have fallen, and the days are getting shorter. So today we'll start off with a little music from Brazil to Canada and how we all come together. I sit down in conversation with Ana Luiz Raymond. Well, through the beauty of virtual TV, live, no, <laughs> well, I mean, it is live from St. John's, Newfoundland. I want to give a warm Winnipeg welcome to Anna Louise Rimmels. Welcome to Hugh at Home. And Anna, we're going to talk about music, but I think your backstory is so incredible. Uh, you've trained classically, um, sung in op- you know, have done opera, and now into this singer-songwriter realm of music. Um, you're former background, like growing up in Brazil and singing at such a young age, how has that kind of helped, I guess, you now project yourself into the singer-songwriter role here in Canada? Yeah, so hello. (laughs) Thank you very much for having me. It's such a pleasure. So I I started uh, singing in choirs, in classical choirs, when I was a kid, eight, nine, nine years old. And for many, many years, I studied and sang operas and concerts with orchestras and big and professional choirs. But the popular music, the Brazilian music, was always very present in my life. And I think that like the past decade that I started working more in the popular field, and I think that the classical training brings me at least the of course the the vocal training that's mm-hmm. amazing the breathing part but but also the determination no because you have to practice every day it needs to be something very steady you know so i think that that's for a musician it's perfect because we need to 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 practice and we need to improve our instrument and as a singer songwriter i'm not sure if i had many benefits from the the the, the classical world because 
for many, many years, I, I didn't think that I was able to write my own music because I was a singer. I used to sing someone's, like other people's music and from mostly from dad composers, you know, <laughs> from 200, 300 years ago. So I never thought that I, that I was going to be able and, but when I started trying, I, I saw that I could write my, my own music. So was this like a work in progress for you, Anna, or was there like a, an instant where, okay, I can do this, or someone influenced you, a mentor or another singer? Yeah, so uh, I, I have been playing with my husband and, and my musical partner, Eric, and for many years he was, Hannah, you need to try and no, no, I can't do this. And if I'm not going to do something that I'm proud of, I'm not going to even try. So in 2017, I was in Scotland for uh, some concerts and I, I was attending this conference and I did a workshop in creative writing. And there I wrote this poem and then, oh, I think this might be a nice lyrics for a song. And for over a year, I couldn't like write like the music. And then one day I was playing the guitar and then playing the keyboard. And oh, I think that might be something nice. And when I started, I simply couldn't like not do that anymore. So now I have been writing many, many songs, <laughs> which, is, which is great, yeah. And okay, so the big question is, how did you come to Canada and more importantly, St. John's, Newfoundland. <laughs> so, um, so as I said, I'm married, mm -hmm. and my husband he's also a musician, and we moved here two years ago now uh, because he was doing a master's in ethnomusicology at Memorial University. Yeah, and now he's doing a PhD in music too, but that's why we moved here oh from Sao Paulo, like this huge city. And, and to Newfoundland and Labrador and to St. John's, that it's, it's the, the capital of the province, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's a sm small city, you know? <laughs> Very like small from what you're used to. Okay, so now yeah. adapting yourself to not only a new country and a new city and language and then trying to get your music going, um, how did things shift for you so now that you are, you know, having your sophomore album debut? Oh, wow. Uh, I think the, the beginning was pretty hard because everything's new and different, like mm -hmm. everything, mm -hmm. even the way that you close your door, you know, like everything is different. And, and because of the pandemic, since mm -hmm. we weren't able to, to travel, or to tour, or to visit our families. Uh, uh, actually, something nice came out of this because we made here like our home, you know. Mm -hmm. So, so that's something that's amazing. And Saint John's, the province, is very, very musical. So every day you have some really nice concerts, like every day. <laughs> 
and we met here some really nice people and that's how i met dean stairs and steve stairs they're from the citadel house and when i showed them like my my album they they oh we like that so we're going to sign with you to release the album so it was amazing crazy and i guess now too your inspirations uh a lot of your songs come from the land that you're presently living on right yes definitely and even uh, um of course that in brazil we have the the, the seasons but not <laughs> like here so that's for me it's it's so uh so nice to see you know like of course the snow for you it's something okay it's snowing but for me it was oh that's magical we don't have snow in brazil <laughs> it's it's different when you are traveling and you see the snow mm -hmm. when you are leaving so and even now with with uh, the 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 leaves falling you know it's so beautiful so it's it's amazing to 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 be able to like be here and write music about this place too and i was curious because uh, sao paulo brazil i mean millions of people living in very close quarters but what is it like now when you come to canada and there's like millions of miles between <laughs> places and people uh, it's very different but at the same time that was something that we really wanted mm -hmm. to, to to experience and back in sao paulo i i used to have this crazy life working every day singing many concerts events weddings teaching <laughs> i'm a voice teacher and driving three hours every day <laughs> like this heavy traffic and when i moved here my idea was to have a, a year off you know okay i'm going to focus my new album and that's it but two weeks after i was here i was already like singing and, and meeting new people and going to festivals and conferences so at the same time that we we have the the calm and it's very quiet i we have so many festivals, like every month, you know, that, 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 is, that is really nice. That we can have like everything, you know? Yeah. The peace, the calm, the nature, really, really near. Mm -hmm. And all, all this art scene. And have you had, I guess, great support from the local music community? And I know, have you heard the Celtic music too as well? Uh, yeah. And... And I guess that's great, uh, such a great influence, right? For the new creative sounds that you want to be creating. Yeah, um, I was kind of surprised by all the Irish influence that we have in here. Like, and it's, and it's very different because we have some pubs in Sao Paulo, but it's more a um, touristic place, you know? And I've been a few times to, to Great Britain, but mm -hmm. not in Ireland or Northern Ireland, more in Scotland and, and, and in England. 
So I was very surprised. <laughs> and, and I think that's something magic about music, you know, it's a universal language. Yes, it is. Uh, I have a, a, another personal question. Have you kissed the cod? Do you know? <laughs> no. That's, you haven't been screeched? No. <laughs> so let me tell you. So screech is like traditional to Newfoundland whiskey. And so you take a shot, and you probably have heard this. Eric probably has been screeched. Yes? Yeah, I, 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 I tried the screech like yes. last year, I guess. <laughs> uh, but I haven't kissed the cod. Okay, so yeah, you kissed the cod. Yes, it's not that bad. It's a little. No, you know that that we have some pubs here that they yes. do like the whole ritual. Yes. You know, like you drink and then you kiss yes. the, the the cod. See, oh, that's no. that's a, that's your next album, Kiss the Cod. <laughs> and you'll have to learn Gaelic too. That'll be your next uh, language to learn. Oh yeah! Wow. Oh, oh and yeah. that's another thing too. So this album, uh, you do have original songs by you uh, both and this is both in English and in Portuguese to correct and the yeah. album is called Amanheceu Amanheceu oh my goodness that's so beautiful yeah. that means dawn everybody <laughs> yeah uh, right. actually there's no the direct translation to yes. Amanheceu but it's something like dawn or mm. the dawning okay the dawning yeah oh well, it is a beautiful album, and we're so happy that Anna is going to actually perform a song from the album. And we wish you and your husband Eric all the best. We can't wait for more music, and uh, maybe you could do a collaboration with Great Big C. I'm sure you've heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, yeah. that would be awesome. That would be awesome. But uh, you know, thank you so much, Anna, and thank you for sharing um, your fresh look at what international music can look like and how I think it should be a mainstay and should be part of the popular pop music that we play every day so oh thank you thank you very much and I, I really appreciate the opportunity and yes and, and, and talking to you and showing a little bit of Brazilian music yes like the, getting to, to know to you <laughs> okay so you can take it away you can introduce the song Anna and thank you so much Anna Luis oh, Ramos. <laughs> so I'm playing Minha Canção. Minha Canção can be translated as my song. And actually it's a love song. And it's about loving someone. And this is um this is kind of a song that I wrote for my husband. <laughs> <laughs> so Minha Canção.
back to Hugh at Home. Coming up next, another installment from our Japanese-Canadian families, this time featuring Terry and his mother, Usono Tali. here today because it's all about sharing your story from the beginning to where you are today. So I'm going to start with ladies first. Usono, tell us about your childhood. Where did you grow up and your journey to Winnipeg? Well, I was born in British Columbia. At, at that time, the place where I was born was called Port Hammond, BC, but now it's all Maple Ridge or whatever. And I must have been in grade three or four. And we had to, um, after the, you know, when the war broke out, we had to move out of the farm. And it was only, a, what, 24 hours notice or whatever. And I was, you know, small, and I wasn't, didn't know anything too much about all this. And we went, and next thing you know, we were in Hastings Park. And my father and my brother, Bob, well, they had to 
they were in a pavilion building, and we were in an exhibition building, and where all the bunkhouses were separated with army blankets for each family. And and at that time, there was a big wall beside the, you know, that's Hastings Park where we were, and I think the exhibition was going on because I'm sure there was a lot of noise on the other side of that wall. And I don't know how long we stayed there. Being a young child, you know, you know, a girl, I, I can't remember everything. And next thing you know, we moved to New, we were we moved to New Denver, and I think we were there for about four, five, six. I'm not too sure, but it was nice. It was all Japanese, and all the Japanese and the girls got to know the girls from the city and urban, and from the country girls. You know, we all got together, and that's where I learned to swim and and get get on the pair of ice skates. I'd never seen one before in my life, but the girls from the city would, you know, they would have it, and we used to go in a, a frozen pond up in Harrison Ranch and try to skate and get on a pair of skates anyways. And that's where I learned to swim, right by Solcan Lake, because it was a beautiful lake by New Denver where we stayed. That's where I learned to swim. I really enjoyed that part of it. And then, we, and then they used to have. Sometimes they used to have concerts, and then all the Japanese would get have um, a variety show, you know, concert. And that's where I learned to do a little bit of odori. <laughs> yeah, I was. It was kind of nice, and I didn't have an odori dress, but Mother somehow made one for me. She had some kind of a material and put it together, and and that's what I did with a lot of odori dances with my girlfriend and all, you know, the girls that I got to know. We used to all get together and go and get into this concert, whatever they're going to have for that. Well, it sounds like, it sounds like for a child at, at your age, it was okay. But did you ever have a sense from your parents that things weren't totally Well, for right? that, I think well, for my father was really, you know, my father and mother, yes, of course, to leave everything behind. And they only took the bare necessity. But one thing that mother always insisted that she take that sewing machine with her, so the sewing machine followed wherever we went. But a lot of, you know, a lot of things we just had to leave behind in a bedroom upstairs. And dad nailed the board against the wall in the door and make sure that nobody would enter it and, and uh, whatever. But next thing you know, we didn't go back to see it anyway. So. Well, and you're here with your son. So how did you meet your husband, Mr. Tully? Well, well, from New Denver, we had to go someplace, and my, my oldest brother, yes, was in Winnipeg, and so we came to Winnipeg, and we were in um, an army barracks someplace, in Trascona someplace for a while when we came to uh, Winnipeg, because we had no place to go at that time, and all the Japanese were in uh, some army barracks, I'm sure. But anyways, then we had, well, of course, we can't live in that barracks all the time. My brother said, oh, man, go to the sugar beet farm. I thought, well, yes. I said, even when I was a kid, I said, no, we should, no, stay in Winnipeg, and then, you know, we can go to school, and then and as we get older, we'll be able to help with the pay, pay, you know, for the house and whatever. No, he kept insisting that we go to the farm, so we, we did, that's how we ended up at Tully's, Tully's sugar beet farm. And I can remember being driven out to the country, and I can remember this feel of yellow, I guess it was yellow, feel of yellow. It looked so nice, but it was, I guess it was mustard or whatever. But anyways, at that time when we moved, I think the next spring, I think all the Japanese that were there before at Tully's, like the Kaidas and Nakais and uh, Tezumis and Hiro, they were all, they were all moving into Winnipeg because they had bought a property, I guess, on outskirts of Winnipeg, and that's where all of them. They were there for, what, seven years or so, I guess? And then the next batch came, and of course when we moved there, 
and a lot of the Japanese that moved away, they, the Tullys would bring in Dutch family and the Germans and the Polish, and, you know, from Europe, and they were, it was just like a United Nations. We're all working together, picking roots and doing sugar beets. And yeah, it was just, and we all kind of got together somehow. And then, of course, Mr. Tully had a daughter named Joyce, and Lauren was there too, and, you know, and, and I got to be a good friend with Joyce, and we used to chum around and play baseball cash or whatever, you know, ride a bicycle to a neighbor's to visit. Joyce and I would do that. And I got to know them quite well. And the Mizunos were there, too, at the Tullys at that time. So what was it about your husband? <laughs> well, he, used to, he was the one that drove us to, out to the field, you know, out to the shoe field and that, and then he used to drive us to the... I don't really know. Somehow, we just, Lauren wasn't that older than jo- much older than Joyce, and, and Lauren would be there all the time or whatever. And I don't really know exactly how he, <laughs> he was just there somehow. What about the um, telephone office? Oh yeah. <clears throat> and then of course it got so that when we um, moved, Dad bought up, you know, we moved from Tully's farm, and Dad bought a, a blo- uh, how would you say, the whole section on the. A block. A block. And it was a, a place that just had a, an old brick house and just a run-down kind of a greenhouse. And Dad was aiming for the greenhouse. I guess that's what he wanted to do, kind of a market gardening. So he bought the place, but the house was nothing to, you know, praise about or anything. There was a roll of willow trees, I think. It was in the front of the property, but it was a lane of willow trees, and it, it looked so... Well, the first thing Dad did was chop it all down, and I remember a lady that when I was working at the telephone, she said to me, I'm sure glad your Dad cut all that tree down. It was kind of spooky, she said. It made the house look spooky or whatever. <laughs> Anyways, and I started working at the telephone office, and of course, Lauren would be there when I was finished work to drive me home with this and that, and I told him not to, not to bother. <laughs> not to bother you? Aw. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Terry, for you, uh, growing up, um, stories about your dad, Lauren, and your mom, did they share any of the history? No, not really. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> dad was crazy about mom, of course. Um, he always said, love is a itch in your heart that you can't scratch. Anyway. Uh, but no, no, they didn't say anything about uh, that. And for us, we didn't know any better. Uh, and... To going to school, uh, Tim and I, it was a, uh, in grade one, it was about two miles away, one-room schoolhouse, grades one to eight, and then that summer, this, the summer afterwards, they built a second room, so it was became a two-room schoolhouse. And um, we're all kids, and nobody said anything. We didn't know any different. Everybody was the same as, as everybody else. It wasn't until we got to high school that uh, there was a sort of a noticeable difference. Not a big deal, but, you know, you, you could just tell that, you know, we were different from everybody else because they didn't grow up with them. And then one day... They told, I, they, the, uh, wasn't it at the high school they said that Tully twins, and they said they're not twins, they don't even look alike. <laughs> and there was another set of twins, but and they really were looked alike. Anyway, one day I uh, went home with uh, one of our one of my friends uh, from high school, David Taylor. Oh my God! So and <laughs> for lunch, and uh, 
introduced me to his parents, and they went, Tully, oh, yeah, we know about you guys. I said, huh? <laughs> and so apparently, when mom and dad got married, they eloped in 53 in the spring. Uh, it was a bit of a scandal, in a way, because it was mixed marriage. It's pretty soon after the war. Everybody knew about us, but we had no idea what was going on. And then um, we started asking some questions and um, kind of got a little bit more of a, started to get a little bit more of an inkling of, uh, of the background of what was going on. And for yourself, Usano, did you ever feel different? Isn't that funny? No, not really. Because, you know, it was, I don't know, I, I really didn't. People were pretty accepting at, at, at the time. It seemed like everybody was in the same boat. Uh, you sort of like, not quite middle class, but working class, uh, people coming from the farm. In the high school that I went to, Arthur Meehan, a, a lot of the kids were from the, from Southport, the Air Force Base. And so they'd be changing every year. You know, you could make some friends, but then they'd be moving on. There wasn't any real... I shouldn't say there wasn't any real prejudice. There really wasn't. But, you know, you knew you, you, knew you were different, and sometimes they would, you know, sort of let you know that you were different uh, just from the way you looked. Uh, but that's okay. I mean, it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad thing necessarily. And as it turned out later on, it was actually an advantage. Uh, Grandpa Tully, you know, Lauren's father yeah. was really good to the twins. And he was very, you know, he was very understanding. Yeah, and all the Tully families, we all got together. You know, we got along, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it sounds, though, the Tullys really appreciated all of the immigrants that they brought on, and especially... I think especially the Japanese, yes. That's right, yes. Yeah. And, and he did treat everybody very well. When the sugar beet is finished in the fall, they used to clean that shop of Tully's, and then all the Japanese would supply a little bit, you know, take a little, like a potluck get-together. That's what we did at the shop. And then, you know, they'd clean that shop and all the Japanese all get together and then they'd bring the potluck supper and have all get together. Yeah, we did that every fall till most of the Japanese moved away after that. But uh. Yeah, and at that time, I think I met Lauren's mother once and then she passed away. And she was a very nice woman, yes. All the Japanese really, really liked her. She was so nice, yeah. A lot of the people who, um, all of, excuse me, a lot of the immigrants, etc., uh, came to the farm directly from Europe or wherever they were from. Up until even a couple of years ago, every so often you'd get a knock on the door. Is this Tully's? He said, yeah. Is it still Tully's? He said, yes. <laughs> uh, earlier on it was like, well, my, my grandfather... And my grandmother got his start here, and he wants to look around. Is that okay? So sure, sure. And I said, Oh yeah, it'd be nice to talk to somebody. So well, mom and dad just live across the road. You can go see them if you want. They're still here. I said, Yeah, <laughs> right over there. Uh, and and that just happened over and over and over and over again until yeah, a couple of years ago, and then not so much now, but. Yeah, because there was mm. a Dutch family that, uh, they, they, you know, he milked, the, the son milked the cow and that, and he was the same age as Lauren and the same birthday date and everything else. But they moved to Ontario and bought a dairy farm. But he, him and his wife, they were traveling through Canada, and they came to visit a state and spent a couple of nights with us, you know. And, and uh, 
Yeah, they, and then reminisces about the old days of living at Tullison. <laughs> yeah, and then there's um, one of those Saddle girls, Fred Saddle. I don't know if you know them or not. But a lot of, anyway, Fred Saddle used to have a grocery store in Winnipeg, but he's long gone. But they used to live at the Tullys Osado family. And one of them, Ruth, was the one that came back and, and uh, came to the farm to visit. And she was saying the first thing she noticed about the farm was the trees were growing so tall. And she said she thought the shop on that looked so big, but now she said it sure doesn't look very big. She said, yeah, they were kind of reminiscing the, the, the yard on that, you know. And then they, she asked me if Jack was around, like Lauren's older brother. And, oh, yes. I said, he's still around. And she wanted to meet him because I guess, you know, because they knew them when they were living there. So, yes, she was young. And then a lot of others came around. The Hiroka boy, one of them came mm-hmm. along from St. Claude. Well, was she not married to a Saint Cla- girl from St. Claude? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, she was the, one of the Hiroka boys came. Well, it, it just sounds like you're one big, huge, happy family. So I'm just curious, now if you look back, Musono, on everything that you've lived through, the hardships and the good times, you've raised a family. Would you have changed anything? Well... Uh, well, I think, no, I think a lot of times, it's, a lot of times it's, it kind of helps you when you have, a, you know, go through hard times, sort of, and you appreciate the future, and, you know, I appreciate now that, I, you know, and I've lived in an apartment, and all the work I used to do, and, you know, when you think back, and you wonder how you ever did it, you know, sort of a thing, and everybody would say, when anybody would phone me and says, what are you doing today? I said, not a heck of a lot, and she said, well, it's about time, you don't need to do anything <laughs> Well, and for yourself, Terry, now that you know more about your mom and dad and yourself, a farmer, I think doesn't, I think life really become more rich when you know a little bit more about? Well, when you, when you know you more about... You appreciate things more, I think. You know more about your past and, and, and all that. Uh, it, it, it draws you in more. Uh, a number of years ago... Uh, 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 Mom and Dad said, "You know what? You should you should go to uh, you should go to New Denver. There's a there's a museum there. It's beautiful because they had gone through there a couple of years before that. So Kathy and I did a road trip, and yeah, it was really interesting. And the museum was there, um, and we went in and we you know, like signed it, uh, the book and all of that. And then what? The following year, we get a phone call from." Um, this woman, whose name escapes me right now, who was writing a book about the Slocan Valley. And each section would have a, you know, a different sort of ethnic group that was there, the Duke of Boers, then Japanese Canadians. And so she phoned me, and she was asking me about that because she had read my name in the... Comment on in that the, one. Yeah. And she was talking and said, well, you should really ask Mom about that. She's still there? I said, yeah, she's just <laughs> next door. You know, so she... She phoned mom and talked to her, um, and um, so mom's in your book. It was kind of like, okay, that was interesting. It was fascinating that people started to take an interest in, in this, especially when the redress was, was coming along. And uh, there was more interest in, in ethnic groups, etc. Right next door to us is a Hutterite colony, Elmer Hutterite colony. And one of the teachers there... Uh, one project she had a number of years ago was to uh, ask different uh, ethnic uh, groups to, you know, have it send someone in to talk to their 
the kids about how you got here. And so she approached mom, and mom foisted it on me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, you know, got the, wrote down the, the history of the stuff for the. I guess I interviewed my own mother, <laughs> and and went there and had some books and, uh, that I could you know, refer you took, to. Did you not take sushi? No, know. no, I didn't. I thought I got no. had a sushi or something. No, no, no. And so I was talking to the class, and and one of the fellows there. Uh, Herbie, uh, who you know, ran the computer program there, afterwards came up to me and said, because we knew Herbie pretty well, and he said, yeah, we've been neighbors all our lives, and I had no idea about the, the Japanese community and what happened and how they got here. And he was just shocked. And I thought, I thought everybody had kind of, obviously they didn't have an idea of how we, they got here. And so I was thinking, gee, you know, a little bit more education would help everybody, uh, not just for us, but on how we got, how mom and got here, but how the other ethnic groups got there as well. Because, of course, the Ukrainians uh, early in the, earlier in the century uh, had their issues as well with the, uh, with the government interning them, and, uh, et cetera. So. We're obviously learning today about the Tully farm, the Tully family, how they've opened up their arms to our community, Japanese Canadians. I just want maybe lastly, if Lauren was here, your dad, your husband, what would he say? Well, I'm sure he'd be glad to know that he, how he was happy to get to know the Japanese because he said, when I got to know him quite well, he said, you know, I used to look at the magazine and see these Hawaiian girls, he says, you know, and I often wondered, I sure would like to meet, and you're about the closest I'll get to a Hawaiian <laughs> girl, he said, he said to me. It was interesting, yeah. Um, I remember at our wedding, uh, my good friend Andy and and uh, was sitting beside Dad, and you know, they were talking, and Dad pulls out his wallet and figures out this picture of Mom, you know, a little bit younger, uh, just showing off. <laughs> One quick little story, okay. So, things changed when I hit university. Uh, it was the uh, it was the early 70s, <clears throat> so being different uh, was really cool. So suddenly that changed a lot of things. And I remember I was uh, one summer, uh, had some money, I went to Europe and, you know, doing the ruins. So I'm in Greece, yeah, and I'm in a taverna with all the other, you know, kids, and we're talking away, and this one girl across the table, kept looking at me. And I thought, okay, I get it. I've, I've, been, I've been getting this the whole trip because Asians didn't travel at that time. So and they didn't quite understand what I was or who I was. And so she kept looking at me and said, oh, let her stew on this. So finally, she couldn't stand it any longer. She said, I give up. What are you? And I said, I'm Canadian. You're an Eskimo. So, <laughs> No, <laughs> I'm not. Oh, I'm sure he'd be very proud of both of you today. Um, thank you so much. So the Hive is a climbing and fitness facility, so we're bouldering only, which means no ropes or harnesses. We use mats for protection. But the four pillars of our business are climbing, education, health and wellness and community and those aspects all kind of come together to create like a five-star climbing experience.
We want to give a big thank you to all of our guests on today's show and leave you with this question. Where in the world would you like to travel to and why? We want to know, so send us an email to hello at ilikehugh.com or you can message us on Facebook and Instagram at ilikehugh. But for now, stay safe and healthy and we'll see you next time on Hugh at Home. Listening. This has been a production of iLikeQ.com. Podcast distribution from the Sound Off Media Company. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind what she said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's blasttheradio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.